Welcome to Two Rivers Leadership Podcast, a conversation about leading as a team because a great team is always better than great talent. Hey everybody, welcome to the Two Rivers Leadership Podcast. My name is Will Hampton. I'm the lead pastor here at Two Rivers Church. We are in week two of our Q&A time. We're trying to just kind of deal with some of these ideas that have come to us really from some uh, really uh, conservative Christian point of view. And they're trying to get their mind around how do we do life or do ministry in a way that's pleasing to God. And so there's this conflict between uh, how we uh, how churches have done ministry in the past and feel really engaged in this is this is what it looks like to be holy and then now there's some of these younger churches they've maybe even some people would label them as emergent church or something along those lines and and they get really nervous about new methodologies and new ways of doing things and, and so there's this conflict of how do we honor God, how do we maintain faithfulness to the word of God, and uh, reach this generation. And that's what we want to do. So, so I don't want to, I'm not arguing for a type of methodology that is separate or divorced from the word. I, I want us to be faithful to the word of God. So what we're going to do is Bogdan's here with us. Bogdan's going to, he's got a, a friend who wrote him a letter with some questions on it. And so Bogdan, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and then, and then uh, let's get right into this question and answer time. Yep, no problem. Um, Bogdan, I come from a church culture background. Uh, I've been doing production over here at Two Rivers for a little while. And one of my friends is just, you know, I've been having him listen to podcasts and and he had some great questions here for people that are possibly coming from that kind of background into our environment, which is geared more towards the unchurched, the people around us, the culture around us. And a lot of people sometimes don't understand it. So with these podcasts, with these Q&A, we'll be able to address some of those issues. So here's one of those issues that I'll read right off. So it seems that most people, Christians and non-Christians or believers and non-believers would agree that things like gossip and pride is wrong. However, when it comes to things like smoking and outer, outer appearance, even many Christians try to push the limits. How should the issues that pertain mainly to unchurched and the ones that the mature Christians struggle with be addressed? Okay, so this is really uh, the answer to this is really in two parts. So let's start with the first part. Uh, he talked about this idea that that we like whether you're a better believer or not, or an unbeliever, some of these things are really obvious, like pride. Everybody agrees. Pride is evil, right? There's a version of pride that is wrong. There's a version of envy that is wrong. Um, so, so, But then we got some of these other things that are a little more ambiguous, like smoking and how we dress, right? And so uh, let's just start off by this. Saying that there are certain things that Paul addresses when he's talking to the Corinthian church and to the Romans, uh, which are really unchurched cultures, right? The, the Corinthians had a religious background, but it wasn't a Jewish background. It wasn't, the, Paul, Paul is trying to contextualize 
and bring the gospel into these environments in a way that they would understand it. And Paul says, look, there are some things that are matters of conscience. And and when it comes to matters of conscience, Paul gives this directive to church leaders. He says, "If, if it's not a clear sin, do not preach that your matter of conscience is a sin. In fact, you're to remain silent about it. Don't put your hang up on someone else. So let's take that to smoking. No one's going to go to hell for smoking cigarettes. They'll smell like they've been to hell. <laughs> but they're not going to go to hell for smoking cigarettes. Cigarettes are a matter of conscience. So here's how this can become sinful because some some people can read in 1 Corinthians, it says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you don't unite your body with prostitutes. You, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So this could be applied beyond just smoking. This could be applied to if you're eating unhealthily, if you're, if you're not taking care of the, the temple of God. So, so here's what happens. If, you, if you're doing something and you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit for that thing, the Bible says this, to him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. So there are certain areas, like not everyone has, like Paul says, some people have liberty. And if you have liberty, live in your liberty. But others who feel convicted are to maintain that conviction, but we're not to, the person who's convicted shouldn't be saying to the person who has liberty, oh my goodness, how dare you do that thing? Paul's instruction is to remain silent about matters of conscience. So when it comes to dress, which is like how people wear clothing, (laughs) which the Bible has instructions for, we're to dress modestly. Uh, Every believer is, is to kind of make sure that how they're dressing isn't in some way stumbling block for others. Now, that is contextual to the culture that you live in. Because if you live in Southern California, what is a modest bathing suit might be radically different than what a modest bathing suit is in New England, right? So so that's kind of a very contextual thing. And so, uh, again, it's a matter of conscience, and it's something that everybody has to weigh out in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So now, uh, so does that answer kind of the first part of that question, right, Bogdan? We- yep. Yeah, so, um, so what do we sort of teach from the pulpit? What do we do corporately together? And then what should we be doing one-on-one or possibly in the relationships that we're developing and through that? discipling. Yeah, so I would love to be able to give you a really nice pat answer here and this is probably uh as a pastor I would say we would get into some very dangerous ground now. And why I say that is this. Some pastors love the idea of controlling people. They love the idea of having power and influence over people's lives. And pastors, if they're not careful, take the position of God. And I'll just tell you, if you're a pastor and you are really 
flippantly telling people how to live their lives, I would just say, be careful. Because your heart, you will stand before God someday, and he will ask you how you dealt with his bride. And if you took his place, did you try to become an adulterer with the bride of Christ? In other words, you are trying to be the husband of the bride and take authority over the bride, and that authority does not belong to you. So that's a uh, something that every pastor needs to be very careful, and any person that's in leadership needs to be very careful of. And, and this is what happens. Is I would love to be able to say right now, this is what it is. This is the exact rule for how things are, and this is black and white, and this is what, what has to happen. I cannot say that because... Each circumstance is individualized. Each culture is individualized. So, for instance, we live here in America. We are the most rebellious culture that I can think of. Like, we celebrate on July 4th rebellion. (laughs) we We are celebrating that, like, we have more people in prison than any other culture in in the world, right? Like, we... There is something about this idea that we're going to kind of fight the power and tear. So when you come into our context and into an American context and American culture, and we start talking about church discipline and the way to do church discipline, that's going to be radically contextualized to the people of how we're doing that discipline, of how we talk to people. And so what, what my best advice is this, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, you have to really, I just think we have to really tread carefully when it comes to uh, correcting others and when it comes to how we're telling other people how to live because the Word of God is really speaks for itself. When somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, what do you think? Uh, should I be doing X, Y, Z? I, I like to respond with, what does the Bible say? What what?" Is the Holy Spirit speaking in your life? And then if they say something that's just ridiculous, like they're getting ready to have an affair and somebody's come along and they're not like, you're not married to that person and now you think you're in love with that person. Here's what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Let me help you see clearly that what you're thinking is God is not God because it doesn't line up with the word of God. So, uh, in that sense, yes, I would do that. But we got to start with here. Let, let's talk about what the Bible says, and then and then each individual instance need to be contextualized. And I just think we need to be much more hesitant to sling around. This is what God says. Uh, when a lot of times what we're talking about is something that's contextual, and you need to discover the heart of the person. Um, now, there are certain things that are just absolutely clear. So we're going to teach anything that's super-duper clear, like from the pulpit. And when we, have, when we do that, this is, I know I'm going to take a long time on this, Bogdan, because <laughs> this, is, this is really – I'm passionate about this part. Pastors, and I'm, I'm, like, I'm assuming this guy is like – or somebody is a leader in the church or a yeah, pastor yeah. and has some influence – because uh, these are kind of questions that come from somebody that sounds like, to me, somebody's kind of making decisions in a church for how to do things. So here's my thing. Uh, pastors, we need to have one conversation. What I mean by that is this. If somebody somebody 
comes to you on a Saturday night and they are distraught. Maybe it's a young couple. They just had an abortion and they call you on the phone and the wife is weeping and, and she's feeling like that maybe she's going to go to hell forever because she had this abortion and now she's experiencing all of this remorse. What do you tell her? On Saturday night, when it's you, her, and her husband. And I'll tell you what I would tell her. I would say, I recognize, and you recognize, that what you've done is terrible. We all agree that, that what you're experiencing is terrible. But you need to know that Jesus died for all of your sins and that anyone who comes to him, he will in no way turn away that as you give this to the Lord, he, a bruised reed, he will not break. He will take care of your heart. You trust in him. You'll find the grace of God is rich and it is free and it will cover the worst of our decisions. Now, that is the conversation on Saturday night. Here's what a lot of churches do on Sunday morning. A lot of pastors get up from their pulpit and they begin, abortion is terrible. It is an abomination. It is, and, and listen, I agree, right? I agree. Here's the problem. And everybody in the congregation is harumph, harumph. Everybody claps. Pastors really bringing it today. Pastors letting them have it. Woo, pastors going and everybody's cheering and it's, it's a great big party about how evil abortion is. The problem is you just had a conversation about abortion on Saturday night and had a totally different tone on Sunday. And what you forgot was that there are people in the room on Sunday who need to be talked to the way you talk to them on Saturday night. And, and that's really this, um, this plea that I have for the church and leaders in the church to understand that this is not about um, some political movement. We are not a political movement. We are not trying to get votes. We are, not, we are trying to do the work of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe that there are people in the room, I don't care if you think my room is full of mature believers. There's so many secret sins. These people are hiding in broad daylight. People, people sometimes it's the loudest person talking to a harumph, get them, pastor, and then they're living a double life in secret. And I've been in the church way too long to be uh, confused about this idea that the room full of these quote-unquote mature believers are somehow living sinless lives. Um, I'm sorry, but that doesn't exist. Everyone has to be corrected and addressed, but the way we do that, the tone of how we do that, let's have one conversation. Let's have, let's have people uh, being invited to our Savior rather than let's club people about sin. Every, I don't think people are confused about sin. Well, do you, Bogdan, most time when you talk to people, are, are they, like people get it. I don't have to convince people most of the time that they're sinners. Most people get that they're sinners. What they don't get is what to do about it now. 
Yeah, the way out. Yeah, I think a lot of people miss that. Like, um, people get so stuck on keep, and they keep talking about where people are at. They don't give them the way out. Yeah, like they're in a corner. Yeah, here's <laughs> all the stuff mean? you can't do. They're here's in a all corner, stuff you can't do, and they're getting hit left and right. <laughs> and they just, they're just not letting them out of the corner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, you, yeah, you're you're terrible. You're terrible. You're terrible. Okay, yeah. I, I figured that out. I don't need to come here for you to tell me that. <laughs> I, 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 I understand that. Yep. Now what? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess what we can talk about is how sort of how do we get Christians sort of talking to the people that are on church? Like, how do we get them into their lives? Like, for instance, some Christians might think like, hey, I'm just sort of going to live a godly life. And maybe someone's going to ask me about God eventually, you know, or someone else might be like, um, you know, I'm just going to be telling all these people, like, what's right, what's wrong, and it's sort of like on them. Yeah, so so really you're talking about this kind of compare and contrast between, like, I like the idea that there's the friendship evangelism yep, thing. Like, yeah. I'm just going to I'm just gonna live a life that's so <laughs> nice and kind I'm, and good. I'm just going to be a light. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a lighthouse. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm going to love, yeah, I'm just going to be, and people will know. Yeah. People will know by the way I live. Like the, uh, I, I love, I see it go around like Facebook from time to time. It's uh, live your life in such a way, or oh, I'm going to butcher this quote. You're going to have to fix this. <laughs> we'll have to look uh, it up. <laughs> uh, it's this, uh, it's a Wesley quote. Oh, it's preach at all times and if necessary, use words. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I get what they're saying, right? Yeah. Because it's just that the conclusion that I jump to is that I'll, I can preach without using words. Yeah. And, and it is true that people are watching us to see if we're authentically living out our faith. Obviously, the words that we have, the words that we use are really nullified if I'm not living it out. Like if, if I say I'm a follower of Jesus and I am uh, straight up going out every weekend seducing a different girl and then and then running around behind my wife's back, uh, it's hard for somebody who's like, I'm not doing any of that to see me saying I'm a follower of Jesus if I was doing all that kind of funky, sinful, clearly, obviously sinful living, and then and then say, okay, now let me tell you about my Savior. Clearly, my actions invalidate my words, but your actions must validate words. The gospel must be proclaimed. If you think you're going to do friendship evangelism and never proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and that Jesus... And like the very basic precepts that sin separates us from God in that Jesus made a way back to God. What we need to do is accept him as our Lord and Savior, repent of our sin and come into a relationship with God again. If we never explain that to our neighbors, they will never come to Christ, period. Someone has to say that this is the gospel. This is the declarative good news of Jesus. So I'm not into this like, well, I'm just going to do friendship evangelism. Most of the time when I hear people say that, 
Uh, what what I kind of get the feeling from them is is that they're just kind of lukewarm, tepid Christians that are, aren't really full bore, all the way dedicated in their relationship with Jesus. And so my invitation to someone in that in that position is really simply then if somebody sees your life, what are the really clear characteristic things about your life that say you are on fire for Jesus and, and really kind of turn the heat up on that. Um, the flip side of that is if, if somebody is always talking and like it's, uh, they're clearly a Christian jerk. Really? That's, that's really the flip side of that. You got the person that runs around, they're just running their mouth all the time. They're basically a bunch of Christian jerks. Um, so they think they're, I've heard it said this way, truth is love. And and what that what they what they kind of sneak in under that banner is now I can say anything I want to anyone I want, any way I want, and I'm loving. Yep. So so go home, Bogdan, later tonight. <laughs> I, I dare you to tell your wife, honey, truth is love. Now, now go to her. And tell her all the things that she's doing wrong in the house, all the ways that her hair is wrong, all the ways that her makeup is wrong, all the ways that uh, the food wasn't right the day before, and bring up every single past mistake that she's ever made in your relationship. And, And just tell her, honey, I'm doing this because it's love. And see how much that causes her to love you. Yeah, I do that on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I have an alarm uh, for it. It's a, it's a special time. So, so we all know that that's not going to work. Now, here's the thing: in a relationship, there has to be love, but there's an order to which the love is received. So, when you see Jesus ministering to the woman at the well, or let's uh, let's go to the story of Jesus ministering to the woman who's caught in adultery. Okay. He sees her in, in all of his all of her accusers, really kind of these Christian jerks, standing around accusing people of all of their sin. And Jesus writes in the dust. No one knows what he was he wrote. People theorize maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. Maybe he was writing individual sins for each of those guys. But he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Everyone else walks away. Now the person that could throw the stone... Qualified by his own conditional statement, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Who's the only one that's left that could throw the stone? Jesus Christ. The only one who's without sin. Now what he says to her is, woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The first thing he does is defend her. He gets in the dirt with her. He shows her that he is going to be on her side. Then... And after he has defended her, after he has really created some safety and some space for her and valued her, and he says to her, neither do I condemn you, and now he gives her the truth, go and sin no more. The issue here isn't that, uh, I guess the context is some people are always terrified that if you're going to be relational, you're not going to speak the truth, and then the the, the other flip side of it is kind of the, the churches, you know, the church that's 
super anti-homosexual, we're anti-gay, we're anti, you know, you're, you're a sinner, you're going to hell type of thing. And then the other church, that's like, oh, if you're gay, we're just going to, we're going to make you a, a priest. We're going to make you uh, a pastor in the church. And that's, that's kind of this really polar opposites of the spectrum. And I think the gospel is this razor's edge that we're called to live out on this razor's edge. One side of the gospel is all the truthers. Come on, condemn all that sin. And then on the other side of the gospel is all, all of the acceptors and the lovers. Like, come on, just don't ever. So here's where Jesus was. He said, look, we love you enough to love you where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. And so, so a come as you are, but not stay as you are is the way kind of we have to function in relationships. So um, at some point we build the relationship in order to be able to speak into somebody's life. And if you never speak into somebody's life, it's a wasted relationship. The, other, the, the flip side of that is that um, the most loving thing, yes, is uh, to, to help somebody into godliness right that's that is there's no standard of holiness that isn't anything that is anything other than loving god and loving people so um the moment as a church that you take a stand or the moment you as a person take a stand for the gospel the way that jesus did you're going to get attacked from both sides and and you just have to kind of navigate those waters but i think as as a group of people we have to be much more willing to be uh, asking the right questions, right? We talked about this in the last podcast, asking the right questions. This question of how do we reach people is, in, or, or maybe it's, are, are we worldly? Did I talk about this last time? Yeah, we did. Podcast? We talked about it in the last uh, podcast, sort of like what we think worldliness is. What is worldliness? And I think the, that's the wrong question. What is godliness? Right. So, what what does godliness look like? Here's what I see in, in how we function as a church is this idea that uh, if we're worried about being worldly, it's the wrong thing because that leads us in a direction really almost uh, like, for instance, if we have somebody uh, in the church that's worried about the way women are dressing and He's like, oh, they're all worldly dressers. They've come in and they dress worldly. Yeah. They, they, they've got, you know, their, their skirts and there's a guy wearing a hat and he's worldly. And, and I saw people with some tattoos and they're worldly and, and they're up in arms because they came into the building. Again, like this whole worldliness thing. I don't think I talked about last time, but there's a, the idea of worldliness is really from part, like a bad understanding of worldliness. And then another really terrible understanding of what the church is. Because the church is not the building. When people come into the gathering, everyone's like, up in arms. There's somebody in there with tattoos, and somebody's in here wearing the wrong kind of skirt. And I, I, I'm telling you, she had a low-cut dress, and it was very worldly. Okay? So, all right, there's a context for in which that actually could be worldly. Here's the problem, is that most churches are going to descend. If, we're, if, if our goal is to not be worldly, then what the church becomes, it, it becomes the measure of the most perverted person in the church. So a perverted person can look at someone and say, oh, that's really sensual what you're wearing. 
And now he runs around and he says, you guys, you're the most worldly. By God, your wife is worldly because she's wearing sensual outfits. All right? Because, and here's the problem. Now, by trying to pursue not being worldly, what we're doing is we're allowing the most perverted person to be the standard of holiness. And that, to me, is perverted. It's the wrong question. The right question is, are we godly? Because godly sends us in a whole new direction, saying, am I not, I'm trying to avoid being worldly, says I, I need to kind of cloister up, and I need to go out and live in the desert, and I need to go, uh, I'm going to whip myself every time I sin, and I'm, I'm not going to talk anymore, because my tongue is a root of all kinds of evil, and it's hard to control my tongue. I'm just going to stop talking in general, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a vow of silence for the next 20 years. And everybody congratulates everybody, like, look how holy, and look how they're totally not worldly. They, they gave up all of their possessions, and they gave everything. And So the question is, did they become more godly? And the answer is no, they did not. What, when we ask the question, am I more godly, then all of a sudden I become more concerned with the mission of what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm become more concerned with following Jesus than some exterior standard of holiness. Because my life should look more and more like Jesus. And so if I don't find myself driven to the lost, like Luke 15 is such a great chapter for this because Jesus really defines where his heart is. You see Jesus, he's the shepherd, and he's got... 100 sheep that are supposed to be in the sheepfold, and then 99 of them are in the sheepfold. He does the count, and there's one sheep that's lost, one sheep that's missing. Where does Jesus go? He goes out. He leaves the 99 behind to go find that one lost sheep. At the end of that parable, Jesus says, let me, let me rephrase that just so you can hear. Everybody tune in. Lean a little bit closer to your speaker. Turn up your radio. Whatever you got to do. Jesus says... That the praises of the 99 are great. But what starts the party in heaven is when that one lost sinner is found. And what he is saying is, look, it's awesome. I love that you are trying to not be worldly. That is beautiful. In fact, one of the things that we're supposed to do is not become polluted by the world. That is a directive of what it is to maintain pure and good religion. We should not compromise. We should not become worldly, but we have to become godly. And godly says, I will pursue the things that Jesus pursues. I will look the way that Jesus looked. I will go the places that Jesus went. I will busy myself getting into the presence of Christ, following the instructions of Jesus Christ, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And the Bible says if we walk in accordance with the Spirit, we will no longer gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So this is not about, oh, oh, I'm trying to not be worldly anymore. That's a whole standard that creates a lot of perversion. A perverse Christianity comes from how do we not be worldly. 
but a really healthy and whole Christianity comes when we start saying, how do I live a godly life? Am I concerned with the things that God's concerned with? Am I living my life in the way that looks like Jesus? And I think when you start asking that question, and you compare that and contrast that, and you get into the Word, what all these ministries are calling worldly is really just a symptom of jealousy. Most often, they're jealous of some other leader who's got a bigger church, and the way they tear that down is to call them worldly. They're compromising. They're Look, Jesus said, I call you to be fishers of men. If you're going to go fish for men, you better use good bait. I'm sorry. If you and, and the church, they say, oh, they're bringing worldliness into the church. They brought in some guitars. They brought in some lights. They brought in some of this stuff. None of that stuff is evil. The, so, so there is something wrong with it if, if we think that those things are evil. Right. And, and the very thing that we're doing is reaching the people who, cause, because, again, this microphone has no, uh, it's not, it's in the world. It's made, it's like the essence of the world is very different than worldliness. Right. Right. The chair that you're sitting on. So it's like, uh, well, is Facebook worldly? Yep. Like you're using Facebook. Is that worldly? Are you allowed to be on social media? Is that worldly? Are you allowed to be watching a television? Is that worldly? Are you allowed to have technology in your house? Is that worldly? Because if you ask an Amish person, if you're worldly for having, using electricity, they're going to tell you yes. And you don't meet the Amish standards, so boy, oh boy, you better get your life together. Something's wrong with that. Something's not right with that. And if if uh, if we can't clearly define and understand what worldliness is, and we can't clearly define and understand what the church is, because the church is not the building that we gather in. You have a gathering, and you're going to have a lot of people who are the church inside the building, and a lot of people that are spectators inside the building. So just the gathering of believers does not make it the church. What makes it the church is anyone who has expressed true faith in Jesus Christ and is following Christ in a repentant lifestyle. So you, you, you have churches, quote-unquote, they have these buildings, and in that gathering there are those that are believers and those that are not believers. And you have the outsider that comes in that's supposed to be a Christian and then begins to judge Based off of what he sees, oh, this is a worldly church because he sees people that are, quote-unquote, sinful running around, and they forget that they're sinful, and they forget that there are people in the room that are should be in the room. Where do you want them to be? <laughs> where do you want yeah. them to be? Right? Where, where are they supposed to go? Yep. Where are they going to find about Jesus? Where are they going to hear about the Lord? If they can't be in the room, when we're talking about Jesus, how are they going to discover Jesus if they can't be in the room? When <laughs> Listen, I get it. They're not the church. Jesus always had the crowds, yep. and then he had inside the crowd those who were disciples. And uh, I, I take umbrage with the methodology that says, hey, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can't be in the room. Because some sick person wants to come in and then look around the room and decide that this church is compromising because there are people in the room who don't yet follow Christ. I, I, I find that to be very disturbing because that's the very thing that Jesus did in his ministry. So was Jesus a compromiser? <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I, I get, I'm sorry, I get a little passionate about this because 
uh, one, I'm leading in a church that that's what we get accused of. And it, it's kind of, it, it's like, uh, yeah, when that's not the deal, it's just, yeah, it's listen, there's always the church. Those that are true believers in, and what's really interesting is a baby Christian has really external sins. And then a, what we call a more mature believer, somebody that's been following Jesus for a longer time, it, either they've learned to hide those things yep, really well. Yeah, they get really good. They get rewarded in in many contexts for hiding your sin more effectively. Um, and what has to happen is we have to have a good understanding of the gospel that that all of us, like this is really important. We have to understand the gospel, and in that we are some at the moment of salvation, we are transformed. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says there is the down payment of the Holy Spirit that seals your heart. You are born again, you're made new, and you are now a believer. Now, can I tell, Bogdan, if you have received the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation? How do I know? You can't. <laughs> yeah, it takes time, right? It takes yep. time, and there's fruitfulness that happens. And you could testify to me, hey, I've experienced this relationship with Jesus. Yep. And and it would be my problem. It would be my problem if I said, Bogdan, you need to get, like, here's where I'm at in my walk with Christ. I've been serving the Lord now for, like, 36 years. And I want you, in the next couple of weeks. To hit 36. To, to get to where <laughs> I got to in yep. 36 years. Yeah. And... And here's what happens. So many believers have this kind of revelation where God does this lightning bolt moment right. and they Cold kind turkey. of, and, and, yeah. and they have this like, Oh, I get it now. And then it feels really easy to the person that gets it right. They had this experience with God. And they had this revelation from God and God did something in their heart and life. And now because you've had that experience, you struggled with that thing for 20 years and now you're on the other side of it. God did this work of sanctification in your life, and it seems so simple. Duh, how come nobody else gets this? You're so dumb, Bogdan, that you don't get this the way I get this. You're not a real good follower of Jesus. I'm so awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm so awesome. I had this revelation, unsurpassing <laughs> visions and all these things. And it's like, uh, man, slow that way down. You took, took you 20 years to get there, <laughs> right? You're trying to yep. get this person there in three weeks. Yep. Settle that way down. So... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, just bear with one another. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it goes back to. And, and like treat each other in love, treat each other with uh, grace and, and then just recognize like, how do you, like, here's the golden rule. This is so simple. I hear, I almost never hear people talking about the golden rule anymore. Like when I was a kid, I was in this program called Royal Rangers and we said the golden rule every week, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is really simple. It's kind of how the law is fulfilled in our life. If you do that, though Jesus promised, if you do that, then you'll keep the commandments. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How do you want somebody to correct you? How do you want somebody to come and talk to you about all your sin? How do you want somebody to do that? And now, the fleshly person says, of course, I don't want anybody to ever correct me. I don't ever want anybody to do it. But listen, if you're, if you're following Jesus, you know you want somebody to come correct you. You just don't want them to come and, and be stank nasty about it, right? You want like, hey, I, I appreciate that you're correcting me, and I appreciate that you're 
bring that because I know that you love me and I know that you care about me and I know that you want me to do this in your life as well. There's a huge relational context that takes place when that happens. I think that what happens is a lot of times people want to correct people and the way they want to correct them is not about the person being corrected. It's about that person feeling narcissistically awesome. Yep. And that smells really fishy. Yep, for sure. Well, I think this was a really good session. We're going to be closing it out here. Um, I just want to encourage anybody listening to this, if you have any kind of questions, maybe you have um, you know, a background in church culture, maybe you have some other culture that you're coming from, um, from another church, and just maybe something doesn't make sense to you, maybe something seems off to you, and uh, we can guarantee, we can guarantee that it's not off. And we can guarantee that we can explain it and just give us a chance. So I'm going to have Will close it out here. Yeah, so, so thank you so much for tuning in. I hope uh, <laughs> I hope I didn't, didn't uh, <laughs> scare you away or scare you away <laughs> or confuse you even more or uh, offend you too much. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, I, if I did it, it was in the right ways. Uh, I apologize now. So, so um, hey, love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I, I want us to be able to lead as a team and I want us to be able to really deal with these questions. Cause I think these are really obvious questions that are being dealt with. Like every, every Easter, this comes up every Christmas, this kind of thing comes up, uh, because when we start making noise, we start reaching people. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why people, people get worried about it. So God bless you. Um, again, send in any questions, anything they have. I look forward to leaving with you as a team. So I'm so glad that you tuned in and listened to this podcast. If you have any questions or any comments, I would love to hear from you and get any feedback that you might have or, or uh, comments that you might add to this discussion. You could email pastor at tworiversassembly.com. That's T-W-O, riversassembly.com. And, and just share with me what your thoughts are. Maybe something that I talked about that you, you might be confused by or something that you want some clarification or maybe you, you want to challenge some of the ideas that we've presented. And I'd love to be able to kind of sit down with you and talk through those things and, and hear what this impact is making in your life. God bless you. Have a great week.